Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Elvira Rakova, and today on our interview, we have Paul Edwards. Hi, Paul. How are you? Greetings. Good to hear from you. Yes, Paul is a president and founder and operator and, and everything what you can imagine in the compressed air consultants company um, and uh, already with the many years of experience in the field in the auditing of compressed air system. And Paul, I'm really happy to have you today here. Uh, can you please tell us a little bit about your background, about your experience? How did you end up auditing compressed air systems and how did you end up in this uh, field? I obviously did something wrong when I was in college to, to get in this field. No, uh, I, I left, uh, I graduated as an engineer in 1982, and it was a particularly poor year for engineers. It was actually a downturn in the economy, primarily driven by the uh, oil and gas business. And I went through a bunch of interviews, and one of the ones that came out of it was Ingersoll Rand Company. And so I ended up going to work for Ingersoll Rand from 1982 to 85. Um, in various positions between the corporate headquarters and field. In 85, I left Ingersoll Rand to go work for their distributor in Miami. And there I got to learn small business as well as international business. And then in uh, 97, Ingersoll Rand invited me back where I had various positions at the corporate level. And then in 2003, due to creative artistic differences with some of the people there, I ended up uh, leaving and starting my own business. Okay, so it means for how many years you've been working as an independent uh, uh, consultant and independent auditor? 20 years. 2000, yeah, a little bit over, it'll be in another two weeks, it'll be 21 years. But we left, I left in uh, March of 2003 and uh, started CAC. Okay, great. So uh, what I really like about your company, when I just went to the website, it's everywhere it's written independent. So independent consultant, independent uh, solution, independent advice. Uh, can you tell me more about this independency uh, thing on the, in the compressed air auditing, why it is so important and what do you mean by this? Well, I, as we've discussed before, competence is more important than independence, but the value of independence should never be uh, underestimated. One of the things that we started seeing a lot of was that a lot of the air system improvements that were being done around the turn of the century were being driven by these automated surveys. And the automated surveys were actually a step up in terms of analysis of these systems, but they weren't always the right or the best return on investment. So for example, there are certain machines, especially here in, in the US uh, that were running under what's called modulation control, and there's ways of switching that to a load, no load type control. And doing that costs you a little bit of money. You might have to buy a receiver tank, but it really didn't cost much. But these surveys would come out and say, oh, you, needed, you need to go buy a, a VSD compressor. And they didn't give everybody all their options on there. So in the course of doing that, we kind of came to the, to the relativization that at least the first relativization was is that the, the the value of the independence was that we weren't driven to sell compressors. And in fact, as our whole business process has developed, we actually take delight in helping clients actually turn off compressors uh, uh, through a series of, of activities. I think that uh, also independency drive uh, drives the competence, right? Because when the person or when the auditor is not trying to sell some solutions, 
mm-hmm. is trying to find the best solutions that are available on the market. So independent of what uh, his or her business is. So I think this kind of like helps uh, helps to each other. And um, uh, when, in your opinion, what is important uh, for the company, for the end user, uh, what criteria are important when they're looking for the auditors? So what, what they have to look for? Well, there's several things. First off, you have to decide what is the problem I'm trying to solve, right? Engineering 101 is that how you define a problem determines how that problem or the solution that's going to be developed from it comes along. So if you see every um, air system as, you know, driven by the compressors, then you're going to see every supply, every answer as being a supply side thing, Um the reality is, is that the system's being driven by demand. It's not being driven by the supply. And the supply is always responding to something that always happened in the system. So we try to define the problems of the client in terms of, um, in terms of money in most cases, and then have that process of how do we recapture the money, whatever category it is to drive it. So the beauty of the independence in that respect is that it actually will um, allow us to go anywhere in the system and use any solution from any brand or whatever. We're not beholden to any one particular style or type or, or you know, technique. You know, we can use it from an entire um, smorgasbord, for lack of a better word, of every op- every option that you have on the table. So you mentioned that the demand side is also very important. I'm also fan of this and myself. I work on the on the demand side and then they see what type of the compressor and mm-hmm. what what is the actually supply side is important. Um, can you tell me what, what do you mean by demand side uh, in your cases? What type of industry you usually cover? So I know that you cover kind of heavy interest industries such as cement. What are the specifics there of the of the demand side? Well, it's it's interesting because the demand side is kind of the final frontier of what we do in an industry. And certain, certain industries like cement have a really, um, with their, their application of compressed air is very uh, liberal, shall we say, because you have a process that's hot, you have a, you know, a product that's very light, and consequently compressed air is very good to manipulate the process. So whether they're adding air to a specific spot or they're trying to cool down a bearing, there's all kinds of ways of abusing the air system, shall we say. And there's some unique characteristics in cement where you have multiple compressor rooms in many cases that make it a really uh, fascinating and an industry where you can actually make a lot of difference. There's other industries out there such as petrochemical that we've done some work in and that our ability to manipulate the demand side is pretty limited, but it's still worthwhile because the return on investment of making those fixes on the demand side are still going to be are very good. We've done work also in aerospace, you know, medical, we've done work in paper and box plants, really just anything that that's out there. We've, you know, after 20 plus years, we've, we've done work in just about every industry you can think of. That's great. So let's talk now a little bit more on the business side, uh, business aspect. So you mentioned before, and this is your logo, that it's about money, not about air. Right. And uh, I actually witnessed some customers in Europe that say that compressed air is for free because it's air. I mean, of course, it's in the right. past now, probably, and I hope so. 
but uh, still uh, for you for your customers they they usually order audits for saving money but not for the sake of audits just to put in the some reports so what is your business around is it more about the <clears throat> immediate savings low low roi or what is the focus well we let the client define the problem for us but most clients if you're working in the maintenance and engineering department, they sometimes are forced to use discretionary spends where we're trying to get up to plant management and production and have a conversation with them saying, as long as you treat this as a discretionary, not as an ROI, you're gonna drive similar decision-making that led you to where you are today. When we get to that level, we basically look at three primary, op three primary costs. One is operating costs, the second is capital avoidance, and the third is productivity gains. And so we go through a question and answer period, trying to understand where they might be spending in those three areas to see if we could actually use that as a return or, or the basis of the return on investment for the project. So while energy tends to be the thing that everybody thinks of, reality is that there's often other drivers that are going to contribute quite a bit to the project if you're looking far enough and wide enough. Yes, I think that uh, improvement of the productivity is usually one of the main drives and the energy efficiency sometimes it's actually the nice mm -hmm. byproduct so but then it also can be vice versa you start with the energy improvements and then you have the immediate um gain also in in, in the functionality and um what do you think i mean from all your years and <laughs> all the respect that they have to your work you're not so old no you're not old at all uh i wanted to i wanted to ask you about in general about the auditors how you see nowadays the market of compressed air because we we have great colleagues in the field someone focus more on the demand side someone uh, focus on the supply side what do you think the main most important qualities that the auditor should have uh, beyond of course the competence and the experience and all the education and probably independence also well this goes back to the what kind of problem are you trying to solve right and so if you're trying to solve a financial problem you've got to have some ability to understand the financial aspects of an air system so there's both a technical and a business side to that but there's also a persuasion side to that too one of my favorite conversations i've ever had with one of my auditors years ago he made the comment i'm an engineer i just tell it like it is and so my response to him was so you're you're happy abusing your clients and he's like, well, no, I'm not. I love my clients. And I'm like, well, you did if you just tell them like it is rather than trying to be a bit persuasive about it. When you're persuasive, you don't necessarily try to manipulate the guy, but you try to put it in terms that he realizes that it's in his best interest. So there's an element of persuasion that's important as part of the auditor. But I think the other thing that you and I have talked about before is also this issue of mindset. Is your, when you go out and do an audit, is your mindset there to sell a piece of equipment? Is it to go put in a VSD? Is it go, do you have a formulaic or are you open-minded enough to sit there and say, I need all the information I can. And then from that, make a decision. Yes, I think it's, uh, we are all auditors that started later than you will have to learn and learn. Uh, I think a lot. I also wanted to ask you about the successful projects vs. versus unsuccessful projects. So let's say that you uh, give the customer 
So you you do the audit, right? Then you give the customer all the suggestions. Mm -hmm. uh, in your experience, how many of them actually follow the suggestions, and what are their what are the main keys to make customer action to implement it? So, and what are the main challenges challenges for them? In your experience, how many percentage of your customers actually implemented uh, the suggestions, and after re auditing them a few years later? Uh, how the things worked after this you just you just hit the million dollar or million euro question right um the reality is is that most of your clients will implement to some level right and the question is is how robustly they go after that and that often is a function of the level of the problems they have and the interest of upper management in solving that particular problem with that said, one of the more interesting cases that we had was a plant in uh, one of our very first audits. They had 13 compressors, and through a series of demand side actions and controls, we were able to get them to run on six compressors on a regular basis. <clears throat> so that was quite you know, a win, several hundred thousand dollars US per year. The challenge was is three years later, we went back and they were running on 12 compressors. They might have gone from 12 to 11 or 13 to 12, but they actually cut it in half and then they went almost all the way back to where they were before. And as we investigated what, you know, what caused this, because you had all this money that you were saving, somebody didn't understand the control system. And when they had a pressure problem, they just cut all of the wires leading to the controls. So all the compressors defaulted back to their original settings. And so we started looking at some of the audits we did back in 2005, 2006. And then we look fast forward to the audits we did for the same clients in 2016. And we found out that roughly one third were actually worse off than they were the first time around. One third were slightly to marginally better. Two were better, but nowhere where they could have been. And then two really were where they were and where they needed to be. And that got us realizing that there was really a new implementing a project success successfully is not enough because things will you know, revert to the mean if you don't do new things, don't have new behaviors. And what they ended up, what we ended up realizing is you need to have some feedback loop that the system is out of whack, either on the supply side or the demand side. The second thing you need to do is you have to deal with how am I gonna make sure my operators understand how the air system's supposed to run both in the demand and the supply. And the idea behind that is, is as you have turnover, if nobody's training them, they're going to just revert to the way we always did it. And then the third thing, which is optional, but probably highly recommended, is you really need a small compressed air committee, not to meet once a week or once a quarter, but whatever it takes to get your, your system running to where it needs to be, and then keep it there. And if you do all that, and you do it effectively, you'll never need a full audit again. You might do some mini audits and things along the way but you're going to have everything in place that you're not going to get off target as that quickly. Okay. Uh, yes, I really like it. Uh, I mean, I rarely see the compressed air committee inside the company. It's usually one person who is also maintenance manager who is responsible for yep. all the, uh, all the utilities. But now there is a tendency in bigger companies to have some guidelines uh, or white papers, mm -hmm. how they are, should be used and they teach also their operators. Um, the other question I have for you, it's about the feedback loop. So what do you mean by this? Is it some monitoring systems or it is the, yes. uh, what, yeah. It's exactly that. You need to, you need two pieces of information. You're going to need the amount of flow, whether it's in meters cubed per minute or hour or CFM, 
And that's going to tell you your demand side efficiency. When this part of the plan is operating and this part isn't, what should that be? You should know where that approximately is. That should be fed back to the control room or to any of the, the uh, stakeholders in the air system. The second thing will be the amount of energy required for that flow. So that would be a euros per cubic meter per hour or net dollars per SCFM. And that'll tell you if your supply side is operating at peak efficiency also. And this is now going to be my favorite question. So I see now various oh companies. So some some companies, they rely only on their expertise uh, and they have some extensive Excel tables uh, where they do the, all the calculations. Uh, in my company, for example, we created the software, but it's still not, uh, not as fancy as other companies. And sometimes I see uh, fancy softwares only for compressed air system with the multiple dashboards. And I see this is very complex, actually, for the operators, uh, even if even for energy managers to have various various systems. In your opinion, where is this uh, perfect uh, center? Where is this golden center for monitoring the compressed air system? Should be only the uh, flow, uh, as you said, uh, and some information embedded in the already in the systems where this action has to be also taken. So how the user should know how to read this this values so where 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 is this balance you understand me between the completely right. uh, artificial intelligence because sometimes everyone is talking and talks about artificial intelligence however i feel that there is intelligence just missing so without a uh but in your opinion so where is where is the compressed air stands now and how do you see it in the development in the next 5 10 15 years that's a question I've never pondered before, so I'm going to have to do this one off the top of my head. A, I believe the information should be the um, as much information as a plant needs to make smart decisions. So that's going to be dependent upon the plant and the people there in the process. At a minimum, we think SCFM and SCFM per kW or cubic meters per hour and cubic meters per hour per kW um, is what you really want to have because that gives you literally in 10 seconds, you know whether your system's running or not. Then you can have all kinds of other data such as information or sector flow and all that, but it really comes down to what is that organization capable of handling and will it help them do what they're trying to do? Will it get in their way? As we go into some you know, control rooms and you see these screens with 50 different factors and things are lighting up red and things are green and it's like the, the control room is so busy, they, you know, they've never been trained on it, they don't understand it. And that can be too much, but often you know, it can be too little you know, if you don't have any monitoring, if you don't have any data whatsoever. With regards to where it's going, I haven't a clue, you know, a, predicting what AI is going to be capable of doing, you know, will we have like monkey, do you know what a monkey cam is? So say, well, there's a yeah, famous comedian, late night comedian, and he put a camera on a monkey and, and followed around the way the monkey did. You know, maybe we have monkey cams on people and the artificial intelligence will look at everything, but we're so far away from that and clients need results now. So, you know, I don't see it as a um, panacea, but I, I, see ultimately you know for the time being we got to at least have some kind of human inter interaction and some basic training of what this data means to you as a plant and that's up to the auditors to be training them at the very least auditors and or compressor companies yes uh, i also think that before because artificial intelligence 
intelligence is artificial because it's trained on the on our intelligence and i think it's not still not enough data uh, out there how to do correct audits and how to help customers beyond the leak detection and the compressor uh changing the compressor to more efficient one so we still need to train all those algorithms even if you ask uh, some AI tools like a chat GPT about compressed air, it actually doesn't give you <laughs> such a good results. Uh, although on uh, about other things, it explains it quite well. Uh, so, uh, and I think like one of the last questions I wanted to ask you is about um, about the what would you expect now from uh, other auditors? Not expect, but what you wish that other auditors uh, in the in compressed air would uh, focus uh, on and uh, what what do you expect also to see to see in the market or wish that somehow the market would, will change also from side of the end users maybe from side of the component suppliers or uh, energy auditors so but how, how perfect uh, market in compressed air would work in your opinion okay that's the second question i've never thought before of before but Ultimately, I think the biggest issue is um, the two issues are, are the auditors taking the time that they need to take to ultimately understand what's happening in a system? And then second, understand where your knowledge is knowledge and where your knowledge is opinion. Because we run into quite a few, um, we, we run into quite a few claims that are out there that just don't have a strong basis in reality. They're, they're a reflection of reality, but they're not always accurate. And if people are going to make return on investment decisions based upon false information, they're never going to get the return. Um, you know, one of the examples, well, there's a lot of examples that come to mind, but there's we run into problems in the field where the engineer might misdiagnose what the root cause of a problem is and instead of fixing the real problem, I'll tell you the, the probably one of the most famous stories that you know I tell ad nauseum is that we went into a plant in South Florida. And in that particular case, the local compressor company had done a small survey and they had low air pressure at one location. And they basically said, well, you need to add a new compressor. You need to add a desiccant dryer. And this is in Fort Lauderdale. Desiccant dryers aren't needed in Fort Lauderdale and you need to add a new pipe all the way to this particular application. We actually went in and looked at the root cause of the issue, which happened to be a dust collector, and the dust collector settings were actually incorrect, and what should have been a 25 CFM dust collector was using about 150, and what we found out was that moisture was being fed to that dust collector because somebody made a bad piping decision in, year, in months previous and that the operator, not knowing why the air was wet, but knew he had to get it off the bags, changed the duration, changed the interval. And so now the entire system suffered and nobody really could put two and two together. The answer wasn't necessarily to go buy new equipment. It was actually to cut the air off from that one location, which was wet air, redo the bags, reset it, and then they could go back to the way they could have. And so instead of spending 50 grand to increase operating costs, we actually found a project for $60,000 reduced operating costs by about 36,000 a year, if I remember correctly. So the whole point is that, you know, if I wanted a perfect world, it would be that the, that we as auditors understand what we don't know and we take the time it's required to actually fix these real root cause issues. 
He asked me I the time, I built a clock. Yes, <laughs> I think it's a great answer. And I also think another thing that I thought maybe I, I, I just would like to add, it's also about the collaboration, you know, because uh, what actually corresponds to the mindset that would not only think in our box, like, okay, I solve only this problem, this problem, or this problem, or I sell another component here, or I, I... sell the software, but mm -hmm. rather their collaboration bet between various experts that can not criticize each other rather than just come together and find some solutions. So, and... Uh, this is this this is in my perfect world. So you didn't ask me this question, but I just wanted to. Well, you, you already uh, know what my answer is to that. Yes, exactly. And the, this is also in your answer, uh, Paul. Thank you so much. So I had a really great pleasure to talk with you. I hope uh, we will talk soon more and we'll record more podcasts, maybe more technical. But I think it's more important uh, to start with the business overview of this of the compressed air audits and also to understand what are the core competences that auditors should have and what also companies should uh, look for because uh, in our podcast we also share our opinion not only with compressed air experts between us but also with the end users with energy managers in the factories and i hope that um, they will find you will find it uh, very useful thank you so much you're welcome and i hope to see you soon